innovative Often duplicated When enough people get on the trend I elevate it Make it way harder for them to follow What I take it Hard to swallow like a lozenger Lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious bruh I can never make this up So just take your stuff Rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk You painted skunks You played enough I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight It's another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio coming to you this time outside the WHUP radio studios. We're coming to you from as far as the banks of Vancouver Island, British Columbia, and from near as downtown Durham. Myself and Betsy O'Donovan, my favorite two-strike white belt, recorded a bunch of segments while we were on vacation in British Columbia and while we planned to have the lovely and talented Brad Acosta in the studio this weekend. Snowpocalypse, Snowmageddon, Snowtastrophe, 2017 hit, and so the roads are terrible, and so we're recording from our kitchen table here in Durham, North Carolina. Betsy, how, how are you finding this experience? Well, I have to say, in a word, it's cozy. Yeah, and uh, we recorded some of these segments. You might be able to hear the difference as we get into the show. We're going to do a, a show with Brad as soon as we possibly can, probably by next weekend. But for now, we plan on doing a series of segments anyway called Ask Random Purple Belt, where I answer your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu etiquette questions, not about technique or anything like that, but Jiu-Jitsu culture, how to be a training partner, stuff like that. And so we have a bunch of uh, questions that Betsy has come up with at, as she's earlier journey in jiu-jitsu. And we had a bunch of user-submitted questions, or I should say listener-submitted questions, uh, that we're going to get to. And we plan on doing these uh, one at a time over se- several weeks, which I think we will do. Uh, but because we're recording a studio from our home today, I think we're just going to do an entire Q&A show. And uh, so you'll hear a bunch of Betsy's questions about jiu-jitsu, which we recorded um, in Vancouver Island, uh, in Victoria, British Columbia, and Salt Spring Island, British Columbia. And you'll hear uh, a bunch of questions that we're recording um, just right here. So you'll be hearing a bunch of questions, some from Betsy, some from our listeners all around the world. And uh, we'll get to that in just a second. But first, I need to hit you to a couple of new happenings with the podcast and with the jiu-jitsu community here in North Carolina and beyond. First of all, we have a fancy new website, dirtywhitebelt.com. Uh, for a long time, about six or seven years, I've had a blog where I talk about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and related issues uh, on, on a WordPress site. And we decided to take all of the podcasts, all of the videos we've done on health, nutrition, techniques, etc., and just put them into one website along with a resource that I'm really excited about and something that I hope that you all use. Um, at dirtywebout.com, there's a user-submitted calendar now. And so one of the things that, you know, John Bagels Telford, who's on the show a lot, and uh, Boomer and other folks that schedule seminars and events, constantly talk to me about is it's difficult to keep track of all the events that are going on, which is a great problem to have, because just about every weekend now, there's something where you can compete, where you can learn, where you can, you know, go to a, a podcast taping, a, go to a special event. But it's difficult for people that are trying to schedule issues to keep track of all that stuff that goes on in North Carolina and beyond. And so what we did is we put together an events page where I've already uploaded a bunch of the stuff that's going to happen in January through March. We've got a bunch of user submissions, and I've uploaded the times for all of the open mats that I know about around the Triangle area. So if you go to dirtywhitebelt.com and click on our events page, you can see all the stuff that's planned, and you can submit your own. And so... If I missed anything or got anything wrong, feel free to let me know. But in the meantime, please go to dirtywhitebelt.com and explore that. In the meantime, you can check out our podcast archive there. 
you can check out our video archive there. And generally speaking, just check out all the stuff that we've done over the last year and a half or so. I'll be honest, I think the events calendar is my favorite thing. Um, and my wish list for it, I don't know if this would ever crowd it, but it would be really nice to see all the classes in the area or all the open mats, which I know you said there are a bunch of them on there, but um, especially for people who are traveling into town, I think that's a big deal. Speaking of overcrowding it, I will say one thing about the calendar, which is a lot of times, because the calendar exists on one page, you'll see one or two events on a day when there are actually three or four. And so if you click on the actual number of the day, like February 27th, for example, it will expand and only show you all the events or all of the open mats uh, planned for that time. Something that I am going to look into, I am going to look into uh, putting all the classes for all the different gyms in the triangle up there. Um, but it's tough to accomplish that without making it overly crowded. Um, so we're going to look into that. That's a user solution. Like everything, like Jiu-Jitsu, like life, the website is a work in progress. So please check it out. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. I should also mention that the design work was done by 1893 Brand Studio, the student-powered agency from Daily Target, where Betsy is the executive director. So if you do need design work, um, I do recommend them. And if you like to look at the site and, uh, and our new logo, then you know where that came from. Oh, well, thanks for the love. Yeah, you know, I got, I'm all about the love. Um, so, I do want to mention, speaking of events, a couple of upcoming things, which is U.S. Grappling is coming back to Raleigh, January 21st. Uh, I will be competing there. I'll be refing there. Uh, so, if you're an old person and you're a purple belt, you might be competing against me. If you're a young person, a lady, or any other belt, you may get me refing your matches. And so, hopefully, I will not screw up your matches. But if you see me, uh, feel free to say what's up. Um, also, I want to tease a couple of events that, as we are recording this, and we are recording this on Saturday, uh, January 7th, trying to put together a couple of really cool events that haven't been finalized yet, but I just want you to hold a couple of dates. We're bringing in one of the absolute best in the world, probably, for a seminar or two, and that'll be February 17th and 18th. And uh, it's a tease, uh, but trust me, it's worth being excited about. I don't want to say it for sure because we don't have the, the, the deal finally closed. And one thing I do want to tell you is please hold the weekend of, it, of March 25th and 26th because... Last year, when we were the Cage Side Concussion Cast, we did an event called the Concussion Cast Carnival, which is Jiu-Jitsu super fights, seminars, games, uh, all kinds of activities. We want to do another event, and we're going to do a lot of the same stuff. There's still going to be matches. There's still going to be probably open mats for people to come and roll. We're still going to bring in some excellent instructors for you uh, to learn Jiu-Jitsu from. We're also going to add some other fun surprises, uh, and you know, I want to have a storytelling event, which will help us... You know, for one thing, it'll enable us to repeat some of those stories on the podcast, but also it's just really fun. If you hung out in the local jiu-jitsu community and the fighting arts community, you know that people have some great stories and some crazy stories. And so those are some of the things we're planning on tentatively for the weekend of the 25th and the 26th. As soon as we can give you details about those, we absolutely will. Uh, so that's what's coming up. Uh, thank you for listening. You can always check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe. And if you like the show, leave us a review. It does help us a lot with visibility. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all other fine social media outlets where digital pixels are sold. Um, beyond that, if you've ever wanted, you know, just getting into the, the meat of the show now, uh, from here in Snowy River, North Carolina, I'm sure everyone listening has wanted to know what a random purple from Durham, North Carolina feels about the etiquette issues that face Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. If you have, then you'll want to come back in about 15 seconds and hear about it. Our featured interview today is brought to you by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Company. 
Toro BJJ produces the highest quality geese, rash guards, and grappling supplies for every Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. You can check them out online at torobjj.com. Our thanks to Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for making our featured interview possible. So let's get to it. So here we are recording another episode of Dirty White Belt Radio, not from the studios of WHUP, but from the banks of mighty Strait of Juan de Fuca uh, on the shores of lovely Salt Spring Island in British Columbia. I'm here with my favorite two-stripe white belt, Betsy O'Donovan, who I understand has uh, some questions for me that may or may not be related to the spectacular view we're enjoying. I'm sorry to report that they have nothing to do with this view, but good God, this view. This is the best podcasting studio I've ever been in. Yeah, we might just occupy this place and stay. Sorry, North Carolina. Occupy British Columbia. Uh, Jeff Shaw, I have questions. I have answers. All right. So my first one is a little awkward. Are you ready? I was born ready for awkward. All right. So in jujitsu, as a two-stripe white belt, I can say one of the first things I learned to do was a knee cut pass, which is all well and good, but this can be a little awkward with male training partners. And so my etiquette question of the day is, what's the best way to handle it when you accidentally injure your training partner in that particularly intimate way? So this is a terrific question because it allows me to give both a generic answer and a specific answer. I'm going to answer your specific question about what happens when you knee a person in the gonads when you're doing a knee cut pass, that specific answer. But I'd also like to speak a little bit more broadly about training etiquette. And the first thing we have to realize is that injuries and mistakes happen. And you shouldn't feel bad about these things unless you are being a spaz and acting out of control. Now, a lot of people would ask, well, what is a spaz? Which is a whole other other question for, for a different podcast segment maybe. But my feeling is, as long as my training partner is trying to implement technique and is trying to do correct jujitsu moves... Um, then occasionally I'm going to get hit in the face. Occasionally I'm going to get hit in the nads. Occasionally I'm going to get scratched. It's a contact sport and it's just sort of the price of admission and we shouldn't feel badly for that. We should feel badly if we're uh, acting out of control and we're going extremely hard and extremely fast without technique. And a, a lot of people will say, well, what's wrong with going hard and fast? And the answer is nothing. But it's training. And so we're trying to help each other. We're trying to help each other improve. We're trying to refine each other's technique. And what, what a lot of the people that complain the most when you tell them not to go hard and fast say is they say, well, I'm just trying to be realistic. Nobody's going to take it easy on you in a competition or in a self-defense situation. And while that's true, it's also true that... If you're not using technique and you're going really hard and fast, you're usually putting yourself hard and fast into really bad situations. And you're also building bad habits in yourself. And so it's not just for the benefit of the training partner uh, that we should calm down and, and you know, not telling you not to go hard. Believe me, you should absolutely train hard. But, but you know, you should also train with a purpose and every movement should have a purpose. So that's the thing. If you're moving with a purpose, I would treat it like any other injury in an athletic pursuit. You didn't mean to do it. You weren't doing something wrong. And so you still feel badly for having caused your training partner pain. So just apologize. Don't make too big a deal of it and move on. And, and I think that's true of basically any kind of training injury. Now, let's talk specifically about this one because let's, let's, let's be real. Uh, the 52% of the population has no idea how bad it <laughs> is. I, that's my big problem is I don't know. I don't know how apologetic to be because it's, I have been smacked in the face by accident, but nobody's ever need me in the groin. Yeah, well, see, uh, 
I mean, I kind of take a toughen up buttercup approach to this when guys complain about getting hit in the nads. Because, yeah, it hurts. Of course it hurts. I mean, it hurts really bad, and it's debilitating. Um, you know, there was just a fight where, uh, you, you know, in the Ultimate Fighter where Tim Elliott, super tough guy, got, got whacked by, um, by his opponent and was down for a good three minutes. So, like, look, yeah, it hurts to get hit in the nads. It also get hurts to get punched in the face. It also hurts when somebody arm bars you and you don't tap fast enough and your elbow pops. And... So I appreciate the empathy, but I, but here's why I don't want to pathologize getting getting hit in the balls. First of all, that becomes a crutch for the guy, right? Where I've had a lot of dudes that are, that, I've had a lot of male training partners that are, are maybe overly protective of the junk, and here's what I mean by that, like you get anywhere close and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's like, man, look, I mean, if this was a competition or if this was, you know, that, that's what the knee cut is. The knee cut cuts through the, the opponent's legs. And, you know, and so if you're in a competition or if you're in a situation where you have to implement this technique, where you have to defend against it, you know, I don't want people to be so overly protective, even of this sensitive area, that they act like it's not fair game to do a technique that that puts those those parts in danger of getting of getting nailed. Um, I want to talk specifically about the reason I don't wear a cup, and and I haven't worn a cup since I was a white belt. And this isn't because you know, I, and this isn't because you shouldn't wear a cup. If you do, that's totally cool. I don't um, think I will. <laughs> I'm the generic you. If if you're listening <laughs> and you wear a cup, I'm not trying to diss you, but I want to tell you why I don't wear one. Which is, I noticed I got lazy with my hip movement when I was defending the knee cut pass. And so I wasn't exhibiting proper technique, like shrimping out, you know, using my frames and doing the kind of stuff that's, that's technically correct in order to defend the pass. Cause I was like, who cares if the guy's knees coming, you know, he's just going to run into a, uh, you know, 10 centimeters of steel or however thick that thing is. And it's, and it's going to go bad for him. The thing is, that's what I mean. And where I, I'm kind of using myself as the bad example here about using that as a crutch where it's like, okay, I have this protective gear that's going to protect me, but that's not really doing me a favor in the long run because it's, well, it's protecting me from a sort of a really unpleasant consequence in the interim, but it's also not teaching me the proper way to really do jujitsu and an over-reliance on something that you're not always going to have access to because really, you know, you know, do you wear a cup to a restaurant? Do you wear a cup, you know, uh, to a bar? Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you do, maybe I should, but 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 if you don't, it's it's sort of an unrealistic thing. And one thing I noticed is that after I stopped, you know, a couple times I forgot my cup, and I noticed my hip movement was just way better uh, because I was a lot more assiduous about recognizing situations early. I was a lot more attentive to uh, moving my body in in the proper ways, and and so I really feel like it's it's better for training to not wear one. Um, and that's just my personal opinion, and it's of course you know the the choice is yours. But like, uh, so that's sort of the backdrop that I see this from, and I want to answer this question in all of its aspects. And so that's sort of why I don't think any training gear should become a crutch, right? Like you don't put on a mouth guard and then suddenly get, you know, and suddenly hitting you in the face is okay, right? It, it's, it still feels bad. You still shouldn't try to hit your training partner in the face unless you're doing strikes, in which case absolutely hit your training partner in the face. Uh, but so, as a woman, when you're training, 
and you hit a male training partner in the balls by accident. Like, if you hit him in the balls on purpose, please don't do that. That's just not, that's not very cool. But if you, if you hit your training partner in the genitals by accident, I think you shouldn't make a bigger deal out of it than you would of accidentally kneeing them in the face when you're trying to, let's say, pass them out and they sit up suddenly and you knee them in the face. Or like when you're in knee on stomach and you accidentally knee them in the solar plexus. I mean, those things hurt too. And the, the key consideration shouldn't be, did I hit them in a uniquely bad place? And should I feel uniquely bad about that? You should ask yourself, was I going out of control? Was I doing something foolish instead of trying to, to train properly? And if the answer is, yeah, then absolutely like apologize profusely. But if not, um, I would be just as sorry as you would be if you need them in the face by mistake and feel bad because we don't want to hurt our training partners, but don't pathologize it and make it something that's this uniquely horrific consequence. Okay, cool. On behalf of the spazzy white belts of the world, <laughs> I thank you. I live to serve. And guys, uh, don't blame me when you get hit in the balls, although I'm sure some of you will. So we're back with my favorite white belt, Betsy O'Donovan. Uh, Betsy has lots of questions. As a curious, uh, inquisitive-minded journalist and a relatively new jiu-jitsu student, Betsy sometimes asks me questions about jiu-jitsu etiquette, and I give her the best answers I can in my own opinion. And so when you listen to these answers, if you agree or if you disagree, we'd love to hear what you think about them. So definitely hit up the show on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can also give us a call on the Google Voice number that I'll post on the Facebook page and let us know what you think of the advice or if you have questions that you want uh, a random three-stripe purple belt under Hoist Gracie to answer. I would be happy to answer your questions as well. But but for now, I'm going to turn to you, Betsy, and ask if you have any other questions uh, to ask a random purple belt. Boy, do I. So today's segment should be called Stinky Things. <laughs> Basically, every segment should be called the Stinky Things. Um, <laughs> uh, today's segment, I want to ask you about two things. Um, one is, uh, well, they're all under the broad category of hygiene. Um, the first is, like, all right, what is the appropriate regimen for people before they walk on their mats. I know you have a pretty rigorous view of this and a helpful poster about it, but I feel like it's a thing that can't be repeated enough. And also, I don't always observe it, so I want to get into that. I'm giving you the stink eye right now for this stinky segment, for not observing it. But it's okay. It's acceptable at White Belt to violate community norms. Uh, but as you, as you advance, boy, it's really, really important uh, to understand hygiene and to understand uh, courtesy for training partners. Because there's, there's really two main issues here. And one is safety, the he your health and your health and the safety of, of you and your training partners in your gym. And the other is courtesy. Because nobody likes being the stinky guy. Nobody likes training with the stinky guy. And believe me, if you're out there... Every jiu-jitsu person that you train with knows who the stinky people are. Uh, sometimes they get derisive nicknames. Nobody wants to be that person. And so think about it in two ways. Um, I'm going I'm to talk about each of those ways in turn and then give what I think are the sort of generally, generally agreed upon community norms. So first of all, there's Matt-born illness, uh, which is different than the former professional wrestler Matt-born who played Doink the Clown. Uh, there are like 10 people listening that understand what that is, but boy, do they think that's awesome. Wow, I'm not one of them. Yeah, well... It's okay, it, I don't feel that you need to explain. I want to hear about Matt-born okay, illness. Okay, there was a professional wrestler. <laughs> all right, all right. But Doink, the original Doink the Clown was awesome. The later Doink the Clown was, was, was garbage, but we can get into that when we talk about professional wrestling, uh, which we will eventually. But so, the the... We all hear about staph infection and ringworm and all these things that pick up when you're in close proximity to other people, particularly sweaty people. 
one thing that, and I don't mean to scare anybody here, but there is a reason why we clean the mats after every class. There's a reason why we use anti, you know, antifungals and we, we use intense cleaning products because when you have 30 or 40 people, let's say, that are the regular participants of a gym, all of whom have you know, different hygiene practices, and you get those folks in close proximity and suddenly they're sweating onto your face and they're sweating onto your clothes, um, that increases the likelihood that somebody will pass something along. And when we're all in tight proximity to each other, if it happens to one of us, there's a risk to all of us. And it's just, it's, it's unpleasant. Um, it's dangerous. You know, if you've had staff, I've had staff a couple of times, not from Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, but, but from other places, it's not pleasant. It's not fun. And it, and it can actually really, I mean, you know, sometimes these conditions can be life-threatening. And so a statistic I heard from a microbiologist that is pretty staggering is the, basically there's a doubling effect of the amount of bacteria on you, uh, every 20 minutes after you get done training and it hits a uh, it hits an end point at some point but the but the important lesson to take away there is the best practice is for you to clean the mats right away and to clean yourself right away and so go directly home take a shower take a shower right after class use good soap be sure that you get you get every area of your body Additionally, and people are better about some of this than others. And some, I'm going to say one thing that is controversial that should not be controversial. Okay, the uncontroversial thing. Always wash your gi after every class. And it doesn't matter if you sweat or not. A lot of people, you know, particularly old school people think, okay, well, you know, all I did was drill. All I, did, I didn't roll. So it's not necessary for me to, to, to wash my gi. No, 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 no. It is, it is 100% necessary for you to wash your gi. Because it's not just your sweat or your partner's sweat that we have to worry about. There's also coming into contact with the mat. There's you don't know where what other folks' hygiene practices are. Maybe that dude who went to the bathroom didn't wash his hands. You know, don't mean to gross anybody out, but every time your clothing comes in contact with the mat and comes in contact with other people, it is the best practice to wash it. So you got to wash your gi after every class, period. The controversial thing I'm going to say is wash your belt too. And I made a comic about this that, um, you know, that, that I'll post again to the website when, the, when this episode airs. And I know that a lot of, a lot of people... Uh, particularly of the older school, never wash their belt. And I just can't believe that because here's the thing, you know, you hear these old practice, you hear these, these old maxims, like, well, you can't, you can't wash your belt. It's like washing the hard work out of your, no, it's not. Mojo is not real. Microbes are real. And, you know, there is no magic energy that is in your belt that makes you good at jujitsu. The magic energy comes from the technique you learn, the hard time you put in training, you know, the stuff that goes into your brain, not the stuff that goes into your belt. Your belt is made of cotton, probably. Maybe it might be made of hemp, um, like mine is, but which is antimicrobial, so buy hemp belts. Uh, but if, you're, if you wash your gi, which you should, you should also wash your belt because cotton is a, partic- a particularly potent breeding ground for microbes. So... Always wash yourself, always wash your gear. And those, and, and of course, always clean the mats. So those are the best practices in terms of the health and safety issue. But you asked a different question, which is, is being a courteous training partner. And I think this isn't actually no less important because jujitsu is an intimate sport and art, not intimate in the erogenous way, but intimate in the, wow, am I in close proximity with these people that I am not with most other people? And so we have to make allowances, right? Where, you know, sometimes you're coming straight from work and you can't do these things. Uh, or, but it's sort of like, you know how there's like 12 or 13 steps to the perfect arm bar where you want to hit all these details, but you know, if you're going against somebody and they're, you're about the same level and you only hit like half of the details, you might get it anyway. It's just like that where ideally you're going to hit every particular detail precisely. 
But if you can't, like let's say you're like, oh, I really wanted to shower before class because I've been at work all day, but I can't, do the other stuff instead. And the other stuff includes deodorant. Makes a big difference. You know, uh, people have very different body odor. Some people can, uh, you know, uh, some people smell real bad. Some people, you know, smell their sweat smells like roses. Never encountered anybody uh, anybody like that except for you. But uh, but you know, the, the we should all be using some kind of deodorant. Not the antiperspirant deodorant because that's just bad for you. But the stuff that's going to make you smell a little more pleasant. Always also try to clean your breath before class, whether that means brushing your teeth, which I think is an ideal practice for dental hygiene as well as for just not stanking. But keep, I always keep breath mints in my bag just or in, in mouthwash just in case I don't have the opportunity to do that. I always keep an extra stick of deodorant too just in case I have to come really quickly from, from class. A lot of people chew gum. I'm not a big gum chewer, but, it's a, but that's, that's another option. I always tend to, to think of like, what are the stinkiest parts of me and how can I clean them before class? And so those are sort of the answers that I've come up with. I would also ask you on the courtesy level, and I know that this, I, I should say this, this, uh, this segment is sponsored by Toro Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Cage Side MMA because Boomer uh, from Toro and Cage Side has super smell powers. Like that dude could smell a pizza like three miles away. And so like, he's very sensitive to, you know, and to, to bad smells. And so, you know, my feeling is just as we should be overly courteous, uh, because you never know what folks are going through, you should think at least one of my training partners has a really developed sense of smell. And I would rather listen to, or, and I would, I, I, and I should err on the side of making myself smell awesome. So with the final best practice for all you old hip hop heads out there, go listen to the De La Soul classic uh, a little bit of soap off of three feet high and rising, and it will give you all that you need to know to be a courteous training partner on the mats. All right. Thank you very much for that, because my thing is I'm always coming to class from work, and so a lot of the things that are on your to-do list, like catching a shower, I'm usually lucky if I get to class on time. So mm-hmm. um, but that's super helpful. I want to ask you one more important question since we touched on laundry, which is... Uh, what do you recommend for getting stank out of your training gear? Mm, this is another great question. So generally speaking, uh, y- you know, it's like any article of clothing. A gi is going to accrete scents over time, and sometimes that stuff is going to get funky. It, it doesn't usually a, a gi, depending on how hard you train, is going to be good for a year or two. At the, at the very least. But sometimes you're training especially hard. Sometimes you're training in a funky environment. Sometimes you've washed your gi and forgot to either forgotten to, to put it in the dryer in time or you've uh, put it in the dryer but it didn't get dry and so now it has that funky smell of like, ah, got half dry and now it's kind of mildewed. mildewed a little bit. So the stuff that I use, uh, there are a couple of different products that, um, that other people use and I'm going to tell you what they use and then what I use. A lot of people uh, swear by OxyClean and a lot of people, which helps to keep the ghee nice and white, which I don't care about at all, but other people do. Um, and some people wash it in Simple Green, which is the stuff that we use to clean the mats as well, which is really good and from a hygiene perspective. But from a, you know, and, and it smells good too, but like I find, I find it's kind of difficult to get out the super gnarly funk. So the stuff that I use is called Odoban. That's O-D-O-B-A-N. And it's what a lot of... Uh, uh, insurance companies or uh, construction folks use to recover gear from fires. Like to, if it's been, you know, if it's if it's gotten suffused with smoke, 
it's what they'll use. And there's two or three different scents. Uh, you can get it at Home Depot or Lowe's or one of the home improvement stores. It's about 10 bucks for a gallon, but boy, is that stuff worth it because you put a little bit in, uh, in the washer with your already with whatever detergent you like to use and it will utterly create a either a pleasant eucalyptus smell which is the original they also have a lavender which is a little frou-frou uh, for my taste so i like the eucalyptus also because spiritually i'm a koala um and that and that's the stuff that i used to get the gnarly funk out of my gnarliest and funkiest geese so do you remember the old uh the old riddler character from batman uh he had all the question marks all and over his suit. The best skin tight green suit. Well, actually, I liked the old, old school one who was wearing a three piece suit. Yeah, the old Riddler was, I think, better than the Jim Carrey Riddler, although, you know, the Jim Carrey Riddler had its own. Uh, I don't know if charms is the right word exactly. Either way, um, I'm inspired by the Riddler today. Uh, and not just the Riddler that is on the Great Northeast Beach and Shake podcast, but um, hi guys, if you're listening to this. But uh, I, I am inspired to answer questions and we have an ask a random purple belt question where uh, my favorite two-stripe white belt Betsy O'Donovan asks me a random three-stripe purple belt from Durham North Carolina questions about culture and etiquette in Brazilian jiu-jitsu we're not going to cover uh technique we're not going to cover uh grappling theory or anything like that just how to be a productive training partner how to exist in a gym culture and I'm going to try to answer her questions to the best of my ability awesome because boy do I have questions all right, so today's question, Jeff, is about rank, um, and specifically chasing rank, because I think that's a thing at gyms where people, what I have observed as a T-stripe white belt, is people like to see progress, their own progress, but they don't know how it works to be promoted or to be given stripes, and I have a follow-up question about once you get stripes. But first, can we talk about how people should think about rank in the context of their learning? Absolutely. Here's my answer to how people should think about rank in the context of their learning. Don't. All right, that's the end of the episode. We'll see it. No, I'm kidding. Nice seeing you guys. Yeah, all right. <laughs> but, it, it, but, you know, glib as that answer is, it's still mostly true. I think the most productive way to learn jujitsu is to keep showing up, just to keep your head down and train and not think about that next step. I understand and that this is not necessarily realistic, which is why I'll give a more pragmatic answer later. But from an ideal perspective, this is a hard thing to do. It is a hard art to learn. And the best way to do it is just to keep showing up. And I often hearken back to my own experience where, you know, me and Kim Rice showed up at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu, and everybody was better than us for months and months and months, and we couldn't beat anybody. For, like, I don't think I, quote, beat, unquote, anybody for like nine months. And it just kept getting beat up and loved it. Loved every second of it. Weirdos. But, yeah, I know, I know, freaks. But th- I, think, I think, you know, the universe for my freakiness because I look back on that and I'm like, man, I was so bad for so long. How did I stick with this? But, but that's the reality of Jiu-Jitsu is you're bad for a long time until you're not. Because it's a really hard thing to learn. It's complex. It's technical. It's physically demanding. It's emotionally demanding. I'm really selling it for all the new people in the audience. But it's also the most amazing thing you'll ever do, you know, for most of us. And so the thing is, the belt doesn't actually make you better. And, you know, Jake Whitfield talked about this in, in uh, my interview with him where he talked about why, the, why he thinks the blue belt is the most important belt. In that sometimes when people get promoted, whether that be a stripe or a belt, they assume that the stripe or the belt has magic powers. And it's like, hey, sweet, I'm a two-stripe white belt. Now, 
all you one-stripe white belts better recognize. And, and then the same people that always tap you are still tapping you. Um, so that can be discouraging. That's why, like, from the ideal perspective, if I could encourage everybody to do one thing, it would be to utterly ignore belt rank and just focus on learning jiu-jitsu and that the belt rank will come. You know, uh, whenever people complain about not getting promoted, I always ask them two questions. Uh, the first question is, do you trust your instructor? And if the answer is no, then there's serious problems and they should either not be training or be training at a different gym. But if they do answer yes, which they should, they always should, um, the second question is, then why don't you let your instructor figure out what rank you are? Um, you know, your instructor's been doing this a lot longer than you and they will recognize that progress and they will validate it eventually. And so from, you know, if you're, if you're concerned with getting as good as you can, as fast as you can, the answer to that is always just showing up as much as you can and trying to learn and be open-minded and do what the instructor asks of you. So that's the ideal answer. Let's talk about the pragmatic answer. Why do, why does rank even exist in jujitsu? And I have my own answers, but like one of the, one of the, one of the answers that I think is valid is people like ways of marking progress just from a morale perspective, especially in an art that's very difficult. It's validate, validation is important to say like, Hey, I, your instructor, see what you are doing. You are on the right path. Here's a stripe. And that feels good. And we can lie about it and say it doesn't or it doesn't matter to us, but like it does. And it, it's always going to feel good to get that next belt. It's always going to feel good to get a stripe because essentially the message that is being communicated is I like your attitude. I like the way you approach jujitsu. You're on the right path to learning jujitsu. So um, if, if we're both to acknowledge that ideally we would totally ignore it and just keep our heads down and train, but that realistically most people are not able to do that, how do we approach rank in jujitsu? And so the first thing that I would advise is to set goals, not necessarily time-based goals. Like I want to be a blue belt in X amount of months and X amount of years, because you can't control that. And it's a fool's errand to think about things that you can't control. You'll just drive yourself crazy thinking about rank, but to say, you know, and it's okay to even talk openly about your, with your instructor about like, Hey, you know, what are the things that I need to do in order to improve? And I wouldn't even frame that in terms of rank, but like, you know, what, to get to that next level, what things do you notice in me? Because your instructor, and even to a lesser extent, your training partners are around you and see your jujitsu more than anybody else. And so they know where your holes are. And so maybe your instructor says, okay, you know, over the next three months, I really want you to stop being on top. I want you to play bottom and improve your guard, improve your side control escapes. I want you to be able to get out of mount from upper belts. And you know, that, that isn't a direct reflection of what, what I need to do to get rank, but it's amazing how well getting better correlates with, with getting promoted. And so, so that's the type of goal setting that I'm talking about, just to recognize holes and weaknesses and to bolster the strengths and shore up those weaknesses. So I want to push back on that a little tiny bit because particularly for very, very new white belts, uh, whose mm -hmm. ranks I, I happily join, um, when you ask for that, quite often the answer is, you just need to improve everything. Like mm -hmm. it is the generic keep showing up. Mm -hmm. It is the, you know, slow for, you know, slow down, don't be spazzy. Um, and it's, it's stuff that you definitely should work on, but those goals are so broad that they are not, I will say from the new white belt perspective, particularly helpful. And that is, I think maybe a lot about how jujitsu learning happens is you're learning everything all at once and some of it you'll get good at and some of it you'll learn later and but it's not a 
do this and perfect it, then do that and perfect it. And it's not like math or reading. Um, but I, I want to push back and ask you, like, okay, how do people who are so new that they have to learn the whole universe, how do they keep their morale up for that kind of learning? Mm-hmm. Those are great points. And while I acknowledge that, frankly, just keep showing up is the correct answer, let me see if I can give you something tangible to hold on to for all of you folks that sort of empathize with that sentiment, because believe me, I can understand. You should... As a new white belt, just show up and do what the instructor does and gradually absorb the fundamentals in that way. But something to grab a hold of that can keep your morale up as well as keeping you focused on some of the things you need to learn, at least what I did when I started learning jiu-jitsu, is I tried to get one or two moves from every position that I knew and that I could implement. And so, for example, you know, I would actually list out, okay, when I'm on the bottom undermount, I will try this. When I am on the bottom under side control, I will try that. When I'm on the bottom under neon belly, I will try this. And a lot of times, like particularly at first, I'd be like, I have no neon belly escapes. I have no side control escapes that I can really implement. You know, So that shows you, okay, that is something that I, that I need to address because I will be in those positions. The next step to that, and another reason that I think these types of, of writing exercises are valuable, is that it also shows you, hey, this is what I'm doing that's working wow, I got out of side control against a bluebell yesterday. That was dope. And I did it with this technique. Okay, cool. I should keep doing that. You know, and, and so that helps with the morale piece and the validation piece irrespective of rank. It also shows you, you know, you, you're not really going to have a game until high blue belt, low purple belt. Uh, you know, your game at white belt should be learning the fundamentals and, that, and that's the game. But the best way, I, but, but this is sort of a way of keeping the positive feedback coming while also acknowledging the holes in your game. Like I think every everybody who's listening to this can identify with the fact that early when you were learning jujitsu, maybe you did something right and you're like, sweet, I got a, I, I upad somebody and I got up into their guard. Or or hey, I passed the guard and now I'm in side control. And then you're like, oh God, what do I do next? I have no clue. I have no submissions from here. What how do I get to mount? You know? And 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 it's as maddening as it sounds, that's progress, right? Because like that tells you you did something right. And it also tells you, all right, there is something else that you need to learn from here. And so that's why I think if you're feeling a little bit adrift, yeah, just keep showing up. Yeah, just do what the instructor says, do all the drills. But I found keeping a jiu-jitsu notebook where I said, okay, these are the two things, these are the one or two things that I know from this position is also super helpful. And if you get to a position that's like, okay, uh, mount escapes when the person does the 100 kilos mount position. I don't have anything there. Oops. Uh, maybe, you know, and then, then that adds to your list of things to learn. Mm. So two more questions, one in this vein and another that's a total random sidebar. So when you feel, for example, at our gym, when people feel ready, they're four-stripe white belts and they feel ready for blue, you know, they go to Seth and they say, I want to do my blue belt self-defense test. Mm-hmm. I think the big question mark for, you know, once, once you're past white belt, I think this all becomes really transparent. But my question is, all right, when you feel like you are ready for that, I, I know some white belts who have been very hesitant to ask for that test because they think it's presumptuous. Mm-hmm. And I know others who want to do it tomorrow because they think they're really ready, even though they're still not. <laughs> I mean, I, not for me to say, but, um, but yeah, so I guess the other question is what's the, 
what what can people expect from that conversation? How should that conversation go? When should people bring that kind of thing to an instructor? This is a great question, and I will say that I can give. Before I get to the specific the specific answer to your question, I want to give a broader answer, which is to acknowledge that every gym does promotions differently, and some gyms have rigorous tests that are like, all right, you need to learn X number of techniques. These are the techniques you need to learn. You need to be able to demonstrate the entire Gracie self-defense at this level. And a lot of gyms do that. Some gyms do a little bit more flexible. Like Jake Whitfield, for, for his gym, he has, okay, you need to be able to demonstrate X number of guard passes. And there's not a list of, you must know the knee cut, you must know the stack pass, you must know the... You need to know, you need to demonstrate X number of, of those techniques that is part of, that's part of your game. Some gyms, a lot of gyms, and this is the way it used to be when I started training, there's no test. A, a lot of gyms just hand you the belt when they feel like you're ready, they shake your hand, and, and there you go. Um, and so, so, so that, you know, clearly this question is germane to some gyms more than others. Um, let me describe for folks who uh, may not be aware of the Triangle Jiu-Jitsu promotion practices, how we do it these days. And so Seth has a list. Seth Champ, my instructor, Hoist Gracie Black Belt, has a list of techniques, of self-defense techniques for every belt level that are based on the original Elio Gracie self-defense curriculum. Like all of these are techniques that are in the Gracie master text, the Elio Gracie book that, that Horian put out. And he has different techniques, you know, leading up to the brown and black belt technique list, which is all of those techniques. You have to know all of them. And so... If you're ready for your blue belt, as Betsy sort of described, at some point, you, you drill those techniques, you learn them, and, and at some point, you tell Seth, hey, Seth, I feel ready to demonstrate these blue belt self-defense techniques. Uh, Seth has a criteria for promotion that is his own, but the one non-negotiable thing is you have to know, those, you have to know the self-defense, and that's non-negotiable. You must do that. And so basically, when a student comes to him and says, I'm ready to demonstrate the self-defense, that's their way of saying, I'm ready to jump that hurdle, I'm ready to check that box, I'm ready to show you that, that I know these Gracie self-defense techniques. So I don't think that's presumptuous ever uh, because at our gym because that's, you know, that's sort of the, the, the standard that Seth has set. And when, the way that that procedure works is if you're ready to demonstrate, you tell Seth, okay, hey, I'm ready to demonstrate. And at some point in the future, he will call you up in front of the class and you'll demonstrate. And all he'll say to you until that point is, stay ready. Because he, he doesn't want to just teach to a test, and I think that's smart because, you know, tests not just in jiu-jitsu but in life, like in, in school, so many tests are like you teach to the test, you cram this information in, you were able to regurgitate that information at a specified point in history, and then, never, you know, you don't ever have to know algebra after that or whatever, and, and that's not what we want. So the consideration for me... Uh, and, and it's different for each belt level because the standards for blue belt are certainly different than the standards for purple belt, standards for brown belt. A blue belt, you just kind of have to know the techniques and be able to demonstrate your knowledge of them. At purple belt, you have to be proficient at them. You have to be able to like, okay, well, I, I can execute that technique in a way that is effective. And at brown belt, it's got to be basically automatic that you know what to do in every, in every situation. And so my, so my advice to folks that are thinking about that, drill constantly you know, drill it, don't drill until you get a technique right, drill until you can't get a technique wrong, um, drill all the techniques in the order that your instructor wants you to know them, and then do a drill where, uh, we call it self-defense circle of death, it's very intimidating, but it's, uh, but it's not, it's a very intimidating name, it's not an intimidating drill, although to some it might be an intimidating drill, and I love this drill for learning that stuff, because uh, you put a person in the middle, 
and five or six training partners, however many, are in a circle around them. And then one by one, they surprise them with, with an attack. Like, so it's not in any kind of written order. It's like, okay, I'm going to grab you by the collar with one hand. Okay, I'm going to bear hug you from behind. Okay, I'm going to try to choke you from the front with a guillotine. And, and you won't know what, what's coming. And so that, I think, really builds that muscle memory, builds that ability to respond quickly but accurately. And so, um, so my advice to folks that are considering about about who are like maybe ready to make that next leap is learn your stuff, drill your stuff, drill your stuff in order, drill your stuff out of order. And then, um, you know, just don't be afraid of demonstrating it because what's the worst that happens? The worst that happens, okay, well, maybe you don't, maybe you don't pass. And, and that's unfortunate and that feels bad. And, you know, I don't ever want anybody to fail, but in jujitsu, the only real failure is quitting <laughs> because it's not like it's your only chance. You know, if you do, and, and I believe that if you spend enough time drilling, you spend enough time working on the stuff, you're going to know it. You, you know, it's like anything, you're going to know it. You, you will know when you're ready. But, um, if you, if for some reason you mess up, sometimes you vapor lock, sometimes you just blank on stuff. It's happened to me. Uh, then, okay, well, now we know what we need to work on for the next time. Can I ask you one unrelated question? Absolutely. It's a problem that's been vexing me. So um, in previous conversations about hygiene and health on the mats, you have discussed the necessity of washing one's belt. Yes. I was very proud of my first stripe. (laughs) Um, And I was really excited when Seth was like, here is this piece of white tape that I will wrap around the end of your belt and you are suddenly not nobody exactly you're like nobody plus one percent um you're almost a person but i live with this guy who washes my geese for me and my belts for me because he has strong feelings about such things i just don't want you to get face MRSA. (laughs) thank you i don't want MRSA anywhere um but my first stripe is in constant peril of coming off. It's like it's it's a matter of moments because I wear that belt all the time and it gets washed all the time. And my my first stripe will fall off before I get my fourth stripe, for sure. So here's the question: If one is washing one's belt constantly, but your stripes come up off, what do you do? This is a great question, and this is why I'm going to cop out, which is the uh, the, the uh, you know. I'm, I'm fanatical about cleanliness because, you know, look, you get, you get staff once, you're never going to want to get it again. And, uh, and, and so I do, I feel strongly about washing gear, uh, and just being really, really, being really diligent about that. But yeah, you know, pieces of athletic tape happen to come off. So here's how I'm going to cop out. Like every gym has a different practice about this. And there are some instructors that I think wouldn't have any problem at all with like, okay, I gave you a second stripe. If it comes off, just put it on yourself with some more athletic tape. And some instructors, maybe the one that are a bit more formal, want to put it on for you. And so I would pose the question to your instructor, just like be like, "Hey, man," or "Hey, professor," <laughs> however they want to be called. Uh, you know, I got this stripe, but you know, idiot boyfriend washes belt. <laughs> my 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 idiot boyfriend who doesn't want me to get face MRSA washed my belt and my stripe came off. Do you want to put it back on? Is it okay if I put it back on? And I think a lot of pe- I think most people will say they just don't want to be bothered with it. And as long as they have conferred upon you stripe X, they won't have a problem with you putting stripe X back on. Part of it's just that it feels so needy to ask, nah. right? Like, oh, I'm deeply concerned about this stripe and I don't trust anyone to remember I'm a two stripe if I don't have two stripes. Mm. It feels really dumb. Mm. But 
Trust me, jujitsu will have you feeling dumb more than once. Oh, God, I already know that. All right. Thank you very much for the answers, Jeff Shaw. And thank you very much for the questions. And as always, this is just one guy's opinion. So if you think I got things right, if you think I got things wrong, if you have things you want to add, if you have questions that you might want to ask uh, for our next episode of Ask a Random Purple Belt, uh, go ahead and uh, send us email at cagesidewhup at gmail.com. Get at us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Or I will post the Google voice number in the comments for this show, and you can call and leave us a voicemail, and maybe you will hear your voice asking a random Purple Belt question on a future show. I want to talk to you guys about Cageside Fight Company for a second. I've been buying from Cageside for more than six years, and about 99% of the gear that I use is from Cageside. That's not because other companies don't make good stuff, they do, it's just that Cageside offers the highest quality products at the best value and, no joke, the best customer service I've ever experienced in my life. So whether you're looking for shin pads, whether you're looking for Thai gear, whether you're looking for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu gis or Valetudo shorts, whether you're looking for the coolest t-shirts around, check out Cageside.com or come into their fight shop at one. 24 Lotta Road, right in Durham, North Carolina. You won't be sorry. Another thing I want to mention about Cageside is they do more to support local fighters and local Brazilian jiu-jitsu competitors than just about anybody else, and so we've got to support the people that support us. Check out Cageside Fight Company, 124 Lotta Road in Durham, North Carolina, or online at cageside.com. So we've had some terrific questions so far, I think, and we had some great community-submitted questions, uh, including one from Daniel Frank, uh, Black Belt teaches out of Revolution Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Richmond, Virginia. I know, Betsy, that you were looking at some of the questions coming in with me, and some of them were related to questions you had as well. Yeah, actually, Daniel and I had unbelievably similar, completely different questions. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm here, so I'm going to ask mine first. Are you ready? Same, same, but different, just like they say in Thailand. <laughs> so here's my question. Jeff Shaw, jiu-jitsu is really hard, and um, it is sometimes very frustrating, and always pretty awesome even when it's frustrating, but sometimes really frustrating. So what do you do when you think you might cry on the mats? I hadn't noticed it was hard. I've always picked up everything really fast, except for the fact that it <laughs> took me three classes to learn to shrimp, and that uh, <laughs> I st- and in the most basic movements eluded me for a long time. This is an important question because, you know, I see people get frustrated, even to the point of tears, on the mat. And I say the same thing. I say different things to different people. But I always say the same thing to everyone, which is everybody cries about jujitsu, and And I hold to that. And so if you're listening to this and you're a super macho person and I'm like, I've never done that, well, good for you, I guess. But, but let me tell you a story about myself uh, that might make you feel a little bit better. You know, when you put something – when you put a ton of effort and energy into something – and something matters to you, and that thing happens to be immensely frustrating, complex, and deeply challenging to learn, sometimes emotions just come out, right? And I, I've seen it happen from the toughest people I know, experienced people, new people, it happens. So I'm going to tell you my story that I've told many of you all who uh, in the community. Anyway, so I was, I was a white belt, and, I, and it took me, like I said, I, I did not pick up jujitsu super fast. Um, and so I feel, I feel like I had to really grind it out, you know, and just really, really put in a ton of effort, which you should, everybody should, you know, to maximize your own potential. And so, uh, so I was, I was a white belt, right? And ended up, uh, you know, I was a white belt quite a while and, uh, you know, ended up going to the worlds at white belt and doing pretty well, uh, ended up getting a bronze medal and felt really good about myself. I was like, wow, you know, all this effort that I've come into it that put into this activity has really paid off, and, you know, yeah, you know, white belt worlds, whatever, but 
But still, you know, it's like, hey, relative to the time I've put into the activity, this is a really rewarding thing for me. And so I come home, and you know how you're you're on sometimes and you're off sometimes? I think everybody can identify with that. Some days you have where everything is working, and some days nothing is working. And I had one of the days where nothing is working, like a week after I came back. And like all the people that I usually that usually crushed me, crushed me way worse than they normally do. And all the people that I usually uh, was even with were beating me up, and people that hadn't submitted me in months submitted me, and people that I usually beat were giving me huge problems. Now it's training, right? And you know, you shouldn't take that too seriously. I was still pretty, you know, I hadn't been doing jujitsu even two years at that point. And so I got pretty frustrated. And when you get frustrated, I think a lot of a lot of times, you know, your mind is your worst enemy in situations like that because it kind of spirals out of control. Where a small thing can set off a cascade of problems. And uh, and so in your mind at that moment, you know, you can't isolate that particular moment from all the other myriad moments that exist in the world of jujitsu. And so in my mind, as I'm getting beaten up, which happens to me a lot, instead of having to be even more than this, still happens to me a lot, I'm thinking, man, I'm garbage. Man, I am awful at this. I mean, and all the struggles that, you know, started from my first week where I was like, how can I not even learn the most basic movement in jujitsu? And as a side note, when I'm, when I'm teaching people how to shrimp today and they pick it up in their first 30 seconds, I'm just like, you know? <laughs> so if you so if you do that, if you do yourself quick, quickly, not hating, but you're very lucky and you should, and you should know that, or you're very good, which is also good. But so you know, so I'm there, and I'm like, you know, I come from feeling really good about myself. I went to this tournament, I did really well. You know, comparatively to all the people in the world, like wow, awesome. You know, I feel pretty good about where I'm at. Come back to my home gym where there's a lot of really tough people, a lot of really people who are really good at jujitsu, and just get housed. And the first time it doesn't bother me, second time it doesn't bother me. About the sixth round, I'm just like, man, I am the worst white belt in the world. I am never going to get my blue belt. And it just enters into my head, just like, man, my instructor's probably watching. And he's like, how did this guy? He's like, what is, what is this guy even doing? And all this stuff that is really, you know, irrational just enters your mind, right? And you're just like, man, how do I not know any of this stuff? How, how can I not have gotten any better? And so the last round finishes up, and it's a dude that I'm usually pretty even with, and he submits me, and I'm just like, man. And I shake his hand, I say, thanks, good roll, <laughs> and I walk to the locker room, and I just take off my gi, and I just throw things. I just throw my gi, and I start to cry. And I'm not embarrassed of this, because these things happen. I'm just like, I'm the worst. I'm never going to give up the belt. This sucks. Oh, God. And I just have an emote, right? Were there other people in the locker room? Nah, it was only me. Uh, but one of my one of my training partners, Hamid, who knows me really well, and it's a good friend of mine to this day, he kind of he kind of could tell what was going on. So he came back in and I was like, "It's okay, it's okay, man." And I was like, "Hamid, I'm never gonna give up. Blue the worst. I don't know jujitsu. I'm garbage, bruh." And uh, a week later, I got my blue belt. That's fine. <laughs> but you know, in that moment, in that moment, it was everything was awful, right? And so and so it's different for everyone, right? And and I think for people that that think a lot about jiu-jitsu and sort of put a lot of themselves into it, you know, I think that happens to us uh, more than most. And, you know, th this, and as and like anything, as you train it for many years, you get some perspective. And so it's less likely to happen the longer you train. But step one, if something like that happens, don't be embarrassed about it. It's fine. It happens. You know, people get upset. You know, a lot of, and a lot of times in physically stressful situations, you know, our bodies put us through panic mode. 
And it's like, man, I just got mounted by a black belt and I couldn't get out and I got the claustrophobia and just physiologically my response was like, God. Um, so step one, don't feel bad. Um, step two, compose yourself as quickly as you can. If you need to take a minute, you know, go get some water, go to the bathroom. You know, if you need to quit training that day, uh, do that. That's fine. But, you know, don't feel like anybody is judging you for it because anybody that would is a jerk. And I firmly believe that jiu-jitsu is an incredible tool for making people stronger. And some people start really strong and just get an iron sharpens iron and they become super beasts super fast. And some people start from a different position. Maybe they're people that got bullied. Maybe they're people who don't have physical advantages. Maybe there are people that just have never done anything this challenging before. And the worst thing we can do, I think, in jiu-jitsu is to stigmatize those people when they exhibit behavior that is often identified as weak. And so if so, don't ever do that. And if you if this has happened to you, if you've gotten claustrophobic, if you've gotten frustrated, if you exhibit emotions on that, don't get down on yourself. It's happened to everybody. And uh, I think and it's just an indication that you're a human being and you uh, care a lot about this. And if you're doing something and you don't care a lot about it, I mean, you should probably do something else. So that brings us to Daniel Frank's question, which, as I said, is almost identical to mine and completely different. And it is this. Hey, Jeff, what should you do if you bleed on the mats? We're really covering all the bodily fluids on this episode. Well, not really. No, oh, yeah. Blood, sweat, tears. Is there any? Are there any others? No, no. No, definitely not. Hi, Mom. But, yeah, so we're going to call this episode the Blood, Sweat, and Tears episode because we're talking about all of it. And it all comes into play in jiu-jitsu. But this is a terrific question because it's a hygiene issue and it's a safety issue as well as an issue of consideration to your training partners. We actually had this happen a few weeks ago at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu where there were like six of us rolling and suddenly three of us noticed the blood on our knees. And, you know, when you're when you're involved in a roll, you don't always necessarily notice because your focus is elsewhere. And at that point, what you should do first is identify which of you is bleeding. You know, because sometimes if you're rolling with a person and there's not an obvious incident like kneeing somebody in the nose that causes bleeding, it's unclear which of you is bleeding because people get scratched, people get scraped, stuff like that happens, scabs come off. So identify which of you is bleeding, and the person that is bleeding uh, needs to not be on the mat, at least until the bleeding can be stopped. So if you're bleeding, uh, stop rolling. Go get a first aid kit, uh, carry a first aid kit in your bag or have one at your gym if you don't already. I think that should be just kind of standard practice. And clean it out because there are such things as bloodborne illnesses that are communicable. I don't want to be paranoid about that, but, you know, we're talking about best practices here in terms of preserving safety for ourselves and our training partners. After that, see if you can stop the bleeding and stop the bleeding to an extent that you're no longer going to be bleeding on anyone else. Uh, for example, if you have medical tape, you know, often you can cover up a wound or a scab and then tape it up so that it is utterly isolated from your training partners. And that, as I mentioned, is a safety issue, but it's also a consideration issue. Uh, sometimes I joke, this is why I wear a black gi, or, uh, or you know, it's not really a gi until it's got blood, blood on it, which I kind of believe, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and so, but you don't want to be bleeding on your, on your friend's gis, and you don't want to be bleeding on your friends, both for a safety issue and a grossness issue. So identify who's bleeding. Uh, stop that bleeding if you can. If you can't stop it, Maybe you should stop rolling for the day, and if you really can't stop it, uh, seek medical attention. Another important part of this is, now there's blood on the mat, and we have to be sure that the blood on the mat is cleaned up. And most people kind of intuitively know that, but I feel like sometimes things that go without saying shouldn't go without saying. So 
clean that lid off the mat, use the same kind of standard mop stuff that you would use to clean the mats at the end of the night to make sure that you're taking care of all of the, of the icky stuff. And something that often goes un, unsaid, but like, and I, I can't believe this happens, but a lot of times people will leave that area wet, which shouldn't happen. I've seen more than once like people clean up blood on the mat and then somebody goes to the wet area, slips on it and sprains something in a sort of comedy of errors situation. So, <laughs> so be sure you dry that spot after, you, after you've mopped it up. So that is what you should do if you notice that you're bleeding. And by the way, keep, uh, nobody makes you bleed your own blood. So keep your blood on the inside. So that's our show for the day. I want to thank you all for listening to this impromptu Q&A show. We're going to have future Q&A segments, so if you do have questions about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu etiquette, feel free to email the show, post questions on Facebook, or call our Google Voice number, which you can find at dirtywhitebelt.com. Future guests. We're going to get Brad Acosta on in the next couple of weeks. Uh, John Bagels Telford will be back soon to talk about Toro Cup 6. I understand you have a favorite poster from Toro Cup 6. Indeed I do. Um, I strongly encourage you all to go check out the poster of the match between our dear friend of the show, David Porter, and our other dear friend of the show, CJ Murdoch. It's a great poster. It involves CJ's cat. Spoiler alert. Um, However, um, I will also say that's going to be a sick match. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to John about that almost as much as I am looking forward to watching those two guys compete. Those two really outstanding competitors, two really great guys. That is February 11th at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu in Durham, North Carolina. I want to thank you, the listener, especially folks that send in questions. If we didn't get to your question today, we will get to your question in a future episode. We're probably going to do one or two of these Q&A episodes, uh, one or two of these questions for every episode. So send us in your questions if you want. I thanks to Daniel Frank for sending in a bunch of questions. I would also like to thank my favorite two-stripe white belt, Betsy O'Donnell. Thanks for having me. Get back at us next week, Sundays. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. I'm Jeff Shaw, and we will see you next week.